you didn't come to hear me ramble, you've come to worship God, I invite you now to stand in the presence of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossians. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, as you bear fruit in every good work, and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I love Lutherans. And it's a good thing, because when I moved to western Wisconsin, there were more Lutherans than people. But one of the great joys of my time in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, was to be a part of a study group that met every week that was comprised of 12 Lutheran pastors and me. Now, I learned something about Lutheran pastors. They are well-trained, classically educated, and love nothing more than being able to put a Methodist in his place. So one day, I was talking in the study about how we Methodists take communion, and one of my friends, Don, stopped me and said, that's the trouble with you Methodists. You think you take communion, but you're wrong. Communion is like grace. You can't take it. You can only receive it. I stood corrected. Henry Nowen tells the story of a woman being taken to a psychiatric hospital. She was thrashing about wildly in danger of hurting herself and others, and she was clenching something in her hand that she refused to let go. Three grown men finally subdued her, opened her hand, and found inside a coin, a nickel, a dime, a quarter. She believed that as long as she held on to it, she would live, but the irony is it wasn't until she opened her hand that she was able to find healing. The only proper Christian posture is open hands to receive God's grace. We cannot grasp it. We cannot own it. We cannot demand it. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. All we can do is receive it. The biblical scholars tell us that that reading that I read to you from Colossians, verse 3 to verse 14 is one long sentence. 
one long, rambling, convoluted, complicated, complex sentence. Now, it's not so long because Paul doesn't know good Greek grammar. It's so long because Paul is breathless, excited, thrilled, because his people in the church that he formed are comprehending the grace of God. They comprehend the grace of God to the point that it has transformed their lives from the inside out. They have received that grace. Well, what is this grace that Paul talks about? Years ago, when I was in seminary at Perkins School of Theology, I had to take a class called United Methodist Polity. Now, it is a class designed primarily to teach us about the United Methodist Book of Discipline. Now, I don't know if you've read the United Methodist Book of Discipline. There are some interesting parts. But by and large, it is excruciatingly boring. And it's very hard to make a class interesting on the United Methodist Book of Discipline. But I had a wonderful teacher who made the class interesting, mostly because he told stories that had nothing to do with the United Methodist Book of Discipline. Some of you might know him. His name was MacFerrin Stowe, pastor in this conference, a retired bishop. One day he told a story I'll never forget. It was about his early ministry. He and Twyla were expecting their very first child. They were excited, trying to come up with just the right name, trying to make the nursery just right. Every night they would feel the child moving in the room. But one night, Twyla stayed up late. Finally woke up her husband and said, Mac, something's wrong. The baby is not moving. They went to the hospital and their worst fears were confirmed. The baby had died in the womb. Several days later, when they arrived home, Twyla asked Mac, the father, her husband, her pastor, why do I miss that baby so much? Why do I love it so much? I never saw it. I never touched it. I never fed it. Mac Stowe said it was then that I began to understand the meaning of grace. We loved that baby not for anything that it could do. We loved it because it was ours. God loves us, not for anything that we can do, but simply because you and I are children of God. We cannot earn it. We cannot deserve it. We cannot claim it. We cannot grab it. We can simply know it and receive it. And Paul says, when you truly comprehend this grace, it's like going, it's like going from darkness to light. What a powerful image in the Bible. From darkness to light. The light. I know from time to time Dr. Biggs quotes to you from Eugene Peterson's version of the message. Eugene Peterson translates this as saying, God rescues us from dead-end valleys and deep, dark dungeons. Now, I've never been in a deep, dark dungeon, but I have been in Aunt Katie's basement. Now, I'm from a part of Missouri that we didn't have aunts. We didn't have aunts. We had aunts. And Aunt Katie lived in an old house on Muldrow Street in Mexico, Missouri, and had one of those basements, you know what I'm talking about. The rickety old stairs that went out into a musty-smelling place. A single light bulb on a string at the bottom of the stairs. An old unused furnace that had arms like an octopus all over that old house. There were corners of that basement that never saw the light. And as a six-year-old, it was the most frightening place I could imagine. Who knew what kind of things might live down there? Now, I'm pretty sure you've never been in Aunt Katie's basement. 
But you know what it is to live in a deep, dark dungeon. A place of fear. A place of darkness and pain. Of anxiety and worry that grips your life. Paul says that to comprehend the grace of God, to know that we are children of God, is to be brought from that darkness into the light. But darkness has another meaning in the Bible, doesn't it? One of the things, uh, habits that I picked up when I moved to Wisconsin was fly fishing. It's a bad deal. I spend a lot of time on it. I I heard a fisherman say that that when he dies, he hopes his wife doesn't sell his equipment for what he told her that he paid for it. (laughs) I'm sort of in that same situation. One of the highlights every year for me is to go on a trip to Montana with a group of my friends. We, we get a cabin on a river. We fish all we want to fish for a week. But the first time I went to Montana, I saw something that I had never seen before. It was a gas station slash mini-mart slash casino. They're all over Montana. Gas station, mini-mart, casinos. Now, I know I'm speaking to a group of United Methodists that have never seen the inside of a casino. Right? So on your behalf, I did a little research. And when I went into the casino, I didn't spend any quarters, trust me. I just went in and looked around. When I went in there, what struck me was how dark it was. The mini-mart had a big glass window all across the front and fluorescent lights on every aisle. But when you walked into the casino, the only light was the ambient light from the machines. Not a clock on the wall. My son, who apparently knows more about these things than I do, explained to me that they don't put clocks in there and they keep it dark so you don't know what time it is. So that you just spend time in there. And he said that people will gamble more in dark places than they will in light places. Which makes sense, of course, because there are some things that we don't want exposed to the light. Some things we would prefer to do in the darkness. Places of addiction. Of our past. Of our lives that have a hold of us. Paul says that to comprehend the grace of God is to go from those dark places into the light, into the the kingdom of God's reign. That Greek word that we translate kingdom is the word basileia, which can also mean reign. And it doesn't simply mean a place we go to somewhere in the future. It means about living here and now in right relationships with God and with one another. It's being in the place where God has us to be where we live with the grain of the universe and we find the richness and the fullness of life that God has for us. When I served my very first appointment, I was in Stonewall, Oklahoma. Some of you may know where Stonewall is. It's down around Ada, Oklahoma. And in Stonewall, Oklahoma, there was a little nursing home, a two-winged affair made of cinder blocks. One wing was for those who were elderly and needed care, and the other wing were for those who had mental handicaps, who had grown too large, their parents too frail to care for them. Once a month, the Methodist Church was responsible for leading worship at the nursing home. So early in the afternoon, I would head down. After Chris and I were married, she'd go with me to play the piano. 
Ironically, on the piano were a set of hymnals from the Church of Christ, the non-instrumental Church of Christ. And we would pass those out. The first thing we always did was ask for requests. And there was one lady from the wing of those who had mental handicaps who always asked for the same song every single month. I guess she asked for it every single week. It was an old gospel song. I think you sing it here in July. When the roll is called up yonder. Remember that song? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, earth's time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright, and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Now maybe she sang that hymn because it was familiar. It took her to a comfortable place. Or maybe in her darkness, in her confusion, in her pain, she clung to the belief that God will one day bring her into that light, out of that darkness, into the reign, kingdom of God. Do you know that? Do you believe that? I am no sociologist. But in my opinion, the greatest thing that affects us today is homesickness. I think deep inside, We want to be in that place that is right. That place where relationships with God, where relationships with one another are right. That place that feels like home. And our frantic lives are a symptom of the fact that we have not found the place that for us is home. Have you ever been homesick? I mean, really homesick. One summer I worked at Mountaintop, the Tennessee Outreach Project. It was a long, hot summer, one of the hottest summers in the history of the state of Tennessee. I lived in a little pop-up tent trailer down by the river. Days were long. The work was hard. Rewarding, but hard. But I'd spend many a night just dreaming of sitting on the couch in front of my air conditioner at home, drinking a glass of iced tea. I was so homesick. We had our banquet the last night of the summer. I got in my little old pickup truck with half a tank of gas in the middle of the night and headed for Chatham, Illinois. I couldn't wait to be home. Have you ever been so homesick that you just had to get there? I think when Paul talks about comprehending the grace of God, he's reminding us that when we comprehend it, when we experience it, when it becomes real in our lives, we are at home. Father Jim Close formed a mercy home for children in Chicago. It was a home that took in children off of the streets, those who had no place to live. There was one young boy by the name of Johnny, and Father Close kept trying to get Johnny to move into the home. Johnny wouldn't do it. Johnny looked older than he was. had lived a rough, difficult life. But one day he said, Johnny showed up at my door, and he said, I just want to tell you my story. You've reached out to me. I just want you to know who I am. Johnny said, as a child, I lived for the summers. When the summers came, I would go down and play in the streets. And the streets were like the whole world to me. He said, I would play with my friends day after day after day. But every night, about dinner time, all of my other friends' parents would lean out the window and say, Billy, it's time to come home. Susie, it's time to come home. Mary, it's time to come home. But no one ever called me home. 
I just think, if once someone had called me home, I wouldn't be here. Can you hear it? The voice of God calling you home, out of the darkness, into the light, to comprehend the grace of God. When I served on staff here, I was good friends with a fellow by the name of Bob Stamps, who was an associate in another church. And we used to go to a study once a month at a monastery in Broken Arrow. And after we had our lesson, we would gather with the priests for tea and for cookies. There was one priest there. We called him Father Bob. He was a Polish priest. He didn't have enough vowels in his last name to make it pronounceable. So we just called him Father Bob. Father Bob loved to tell stories. One day he told this story. He had recently been put in a concentration camp during World War II with other Catholic priests. They wanted more than anything in the world to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion, but the guards knew that was a dangerous thing. But they could not let it happen, but they bribed one guard. He brought him a little vial of wine. From their hunger rations, they saved a little handful of bread. And the guard told Father Bob, you will say the Mass, you will pretend as if you're being punished, you'll walk along the fence line, and when you're through, you can come back and serve the other priests. So early in the morning, before it was light, he stepped across the snow. He could feel the snow falling on his shoulders. He walked along the fence line, reciting the Mass, and he got to the part that says, Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, grant us thy peace. He said, as soon as I said that, I saw the sun rising blood red over the snow. And I realized that it wasn't snow falling on my shoulders, but ashes from the crematorium. And it was then that I realized the depth of God's grace and God's mercy in this broken world. There's nothing we can do to grab it, to claim it, to deserve it, to earn it. All we can do is receive it. I guess those Lutherans were right after us.